0: There is a podcast that lies between the imagination of two simple minded earthlings. Travel with these two longtime friends, Jimbo and 80s E, as they attempt to explore the fifth dimension. Follow along with them as they take the key and unlock the door to the vast space between shadow and substance. This podcast is one of trivia of insight and of sounds and ideas from one of the greatest television shows ever produced you are embarking on a timeless journey there is your signpost up ahead you are entering the tragedy of cinema's twilight zone
1: don't you know what a radio
0: is boy well sure but i've never seen one like that before No one ever saw one quite like that. Because that's a very special sort of radio. In its days, circa 1935, its type was one of the most elegant consoles on the market. Now, with its fabric covered speakers, its peculiar yellow dial, its serrated knobs, it looks quaint and a little strange. Mr. Ed Lindsay is going to find out how strange very soon when he tunes into the Twilight Zone. Alright guys, welcome back to the
1: Tragedy Cinema Podcast, the Twilight Zone series. I'm your host Jimbo, and joined in person today in the
0: Southern Layer. That's right, in the flesh, ADZ here to dive down into the fifth dimension once again.
1: Right. Uh, today we will talk about episode 20 of season 2, Static, which is, yes, another videotaped episode, which after this we only have one more to trudge through of this terrible filmography, so...
0: <laughs> yeah, we hate those videotaped episodes. <laughs>
1: right. So, Eric, before we get started, I do want to throw a question out to you. Shoot. When I was younger, my grandpa uh, used to play some old-time radio shows with okay. me, uh, such as Fibber McGee and Molly, uh, The Shadow, Dick Tracy, Ozzy and Harriet. My question to you, Eric, is did you ever
0: get to listen to any of those radio programs? Oh, man, the only one that I think comes to mind, and as I'm looking around the, the band cave here, your office, I see two old-timey radios that you've... Uh, save back and i think i think you told me once those were from your grandfather well this is from my
1: dad is actually a record
0: player okay
1: and this one over here is from my grandpa so yeah i have both of
0: them right so i was noticing those and i have i have one similar to the record player one that you just pointed to but to answer your question um that's cool that you have those uh i can only remember like maybe I don't know if I'm getting it mixed up with A Christmas Story, maybe A Little Orphan Annie. I might have actually heard some clips of that, and The Lone Ranger is the only thing that comes to mind that I, maybe I might have heard on radio, but other than that, no. I'm wow. not familiar at all with
1: Well, there are apps out there on your phone that you can download and listen to some of those mm-hmm. all, all, old-time uh, radio sto- okay. uh, shows, which uh, basically it's theater for your mind, um, right. which we find out in this episode a little bit later. Uh, so, Eric, if you want to go ahead and take away Static. Sure.
0: Absolutely Static. This is the Twilight Season, The Twilight Zone Season, excuse me, Season 2, episode number 20, and it's entitled Static and it was directed by Buzz Kulick and this was uh, written by Charles Beaumont and the story was based on a story uh, from author O.C. Rich. And I think, Jimbo, you got some information in your trusty companion there. I'm Absolutely. i throw it to you, and you were going to read a little bit of backstory about O.C. Rich, I believe.
1: Sure. So, so Static was based on a story by O.C. Rich. What a name, O.C. I know. That's interesting. Yeah. If you know, he could be O.C. D3 or something for Star Wars. But <laughs> he was a friend of uh, Charles Beaumont, actually. Uh, he said the idea for it came uh, from a party given by Richard Matheson, attended by both Rich and a fan of old-time radio who performed bits of radio nostalgia. Quote, "At, At the time, Rich recalls, I think I said something like, Hey man, wouldn't it be great if you could just tune in those old things? So I went home and I wrote a story called Tune In Yesterday. It was Chuck's suggestion that I make it into a Twilight Zone instead of submitting it as a short story. I submitted it to the Twilight Zone and they accepted it as a story on Chuck's recommendation and asked him to do a teleplay based on it. In reworking Rich's story, though, Beaumont made substantial alterations. While the original concerned a middle-aged unhappily married man who uses the radio to escape into the past, Beaumont's script deals with a sour, aging bachelor who lives in a boarding house under the same roof with a woman who might have been his wife had things not gone wrong. The magic radio gives the man a second chance, transporting him to an idyllic past in which he and his beloved did not let life
0: pass them by. Yeah, uh, that's, that's, that was interesting that, uh, you know, the difference between Bachelor and man. Mandy kind of altered the story for the teleplay a little bit. Uh, I don't know if she, I don't know, would you be upset by that if someone, like, altered your story? I mean, I think every author probably would be a little bit like, you know, if you write it a certain way. Like, line,
1: that's not how I wrote it. You yeah, know like,
0: would I mean? be a little upset. <laughs> but uh, interesting, uh, O.C. Rich uh Trivia there. So this original air date was on March the 10th, 1961. And that brings us to our our favorite segment that we like to call... On This Day in History. Okay, so on this day in 1960, the 17th Golden Globes for March 10th. The movie Ben-Hur won a Golden Globe. Along with actress Elizabeth Taylor for the movie Suddenly Last Summer. Never seen that movie? Have you ever seen it before? No. Nope. Love Elizabeth Taylor, but I've never seen that movie. So that was for 1960. 1978, you'll like this one, Jimbo the incredible hulk starring bill bixby as david banner premieres on cbs that still
1: has some of the saddest intro music of all time or exit music when he's walking along the highway town <laughs> to town flannel shirt on <laughs> yeah. thumbing for a ride with that yeah. poor 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 song
0: for sure yeah that that was always uh sad as bill bixby tears up a town and has to go you know
1: you, know, you ever wonder where road. he got
0: all the clothes
1: Every, every episode after he ripped out of his clothes, he'd be wearing pretty much the same thing as he's walking down the road. Yeah. Just, a, just an observation from Jimbo. Right,
0: right. So 1978, OG Incredible Hulk. That one always sticks with me. But in 1997, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, created by Joss Whedon, starring Sarah Michelle Geller, premieres on the WB television network in 1997. So that's our On This Day in History for March the 10th. That's a good TV
1: show. Have you ever watched it? No. Uh, well, that's one of Carl Todd's from the Evil Never Dies podcast yeah. uh, favorite TV
0: shows, so yeah, shout out cool. to them. But yeah, uh, I've never actually... I might have seen pieces, bits and pieces of... Uh, the,
1: well, Eric, it's on my voodoo if you ever want to go down yeah. that rabbit hole.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's plenty there for me. So... Back to our Twilight Zone episode. The production cost for this particular episode, because it was videotaped, it is down again. Uh, this one was $36,286.66, so it came in pretty handsomely there. So we adjust that for inflation in 2023, dollars, we're looking at $365,099.63 for a 906% increase so just some notes here for dates of filming this was filmed on november 19th and november 20th of 1960 there's no rehearsal dates for this episode uh but with that jimbo i'll throw it back to you for the cast
1: sure um and we have uh actually quite of a bit larger cast than normal um i didn't go through all of them but i think we'll uh highlight some of the major ones so uh, you had Dean Jagger playing the main character Ed Lindsay. Eric, do you know what he's most famous for? I do not. White Christmas. He was Major Waverly in White Christmas. Major Waverly. I'm trying to think. He's the guy that they sing for and oh, they bring him to the thing. Oh, okay. Major. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he was also in one of my personal guilty pleasure movies, Alligator, where he played Slade from, I believe it was 1980. Um, then you had Carmen Matthews uh, playing Vinny. Uh, she was in Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Um, a couple other uh, notable TV shows in there as well. Then you had Robert Earnhardt playing, uh, that's probably no relation to Del Earnhardt or Dell Jr., just yeah. saying, uh, Professor Ackerman. Uh, Eric, he was in 310 to Yuma in 1957. He was in Andy Griffith. Andy Griffith, where he played Malcolm <laughs> Tucker. And William Foster. I I, I threw it in there just for you. That was one of my favorite episodes. (laughs) How did I not know? (laughs) Uh, We say that about every episode we come to about Andy Griffith. Love it. Right. Uh, Arch Johnson, uh, he played Roscoe Bragg. Uh, He was in The Sting in 1973. Alice Pierce played Mrs. Nilsson. You may. Probably the most famous role she ever did was Bewitched, where she played Gladys Kravitz, the neighbor Mm -hmm. from Bewitched. Mm -hmm. You know, Mrs. Kravitz is peeking through her window again. Uh, Then you had Clegg Hoyt, who was the shopkeeper. He was in 13 West Street in 1962. Stephen Talbot, the boy. Uh, He was in uh, Soundtracks, Music Without Borders in 2012, but probably most famous for Leave it to Beaver, where he played Gilbert, which was uh, Beaver's best friend. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, you had Lillian O'Malley, who played Miss Meredith. Uh, she was in The Twilight Zone, uh, not much else. Uh, Pat O'Malley. You know, and I didn't really find out if they were related. Lillian O'Malley and Pat Probably O'Malley. But been. she was... Uh, he was Mr. Lull- 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 uh He was in Invasion of the Body Snatchers in 1956. Then you had Bob Duggan. Uh, he was an uncredited man. He was in Cruising in 1980. Jerry Fuller, who was the rock singer, uh, uncredited, at the beginning, was in Logan in 2017, which was the Wolverine movie. Uh, you had Eddie Marr, the real estate pitchman. Uh, he was the, in The Glass Key in 1942. Jay Overholtz was a man number two uncredited. Uh, is in The Twilight Zone. Of course, Rod Serling in his famous cameo doing the narrator self-hosting. Then there's a girl in the commercial, I guess it's the one smoking the cigarettes, Mm -hmm. that's Diana Strom. She was in El Dorado in 1966. And then, yes, uh, last but not least, as the uh, radio announcer uh, and making one of his first appearances on TV, you have the great Bob Crane... Uh, probably most notable for Hogan's Heroes.
0: All right. Thank you. And You're that is for your that cast. Extent. Yeah, you are correct. That was an extended cast. Probably one of the bigger ones we've had so far. Let me jump to the plot for this episode. Ed Lindsay, one of the tenants at Vinny's Boarding House. Let me stop right there. Does it ever say, because I looked this up in our credible material, it says it's Vinny's Boarding House, but I don't ever remember them referencing the house as hers, but I could be wrong, but... I digress. Let's move on. One of the tenants at Benny's boarding house longs for the days when radio was a medium of entertainment. Digging out the old radio from the basement, he carries the this unit up to the top uh, floor to his room and plugs it in. He soon discovers that the broadcasts of the past are coming through the speakers. Every time he tries to get someone else to listen with him, however... All that comes through the speakers is static. Vinny, his old flame, believes Ed is getting sentimental for the past during their romantic days. But 20 years later, they apparently missed their chance. So, as we open the uh, episode, we open in a parlor, or like <coughs> pardon me, in a parlor or like a living room type setting. And there's just like a bunch of people. All of our large casts, many of them are just like sitting around watching TV in the room, and uh, Lindsay, Ed Lindsay, and the professor are like playing checkers, and you can tell this jumps right out at you very early that Lindsay is like this crotchety old man, and you know um, the professor's not really paying any attention as they're playing checkers, and you know he beats them, he beats them really easily and kind of slams the board down and he gets up and he like walks over to the tv and he basically thinks that all the people in here are mindless idiots well, basically watching tv all day long. well
1: but if you watch them if you watch the people they just look like zombies sitting there they do they do. so
0: so it kind of fits with fast that.
1: forward to 2023 you have a kid you like plop that, them down in front right. of the tv and they're just mindlessly yeah.
0: wandering down those cartoons or tv shows or whatever or their phones right yeah, their phone i could i could see how that is and someone made a point i was listening or reading something uh about this episode um, you know radio wasn't that far removed when this episode was there you right. know, you figure 20 25 years tops I mean radio was the form of entertainment that you would have in the home you know you know most people if you were of some means probably had one in their living room or whatever in the 30s and 40s so you know that was a that was a relatively it wasn't that old of a, a form of entertainment or whatever so you know he's You could tell he's obviously frustrated. He gets up and changes the channel a couple of times. And, um, you know, he gives a kind of a lecture slash speech to all the people. Um, And then he kind of gets frustrated finally and stomps out of the room. And then the next scene we come to, he's in the basement. And uh, he, he comes to a... Well, you can't really tell at the beginning, but he comes... To a big pile, and on top of the pile is a picture, and he holds the picture up, and it's a picture who will come to see later is of Vinny, his love interest, and himself in their younger days, and uh, underneath this, looks like a blanket or a cloth or something. He discovers his old radio. And then he has a conversation with the boy in the window. I like how he just pops his head in there. Yeah. Hey. (laughs) And he says, what's that? And Lindsay says, this is a radio boy or something like that, you know. And then um, shortly thereafter, they kind of have a little discussion. uh, Shortly thereafter, the camera pans behind the radio and we see Rod in one of his more creative entrances for his intro.
1: But once again, I think his audio sounds off to me.
0: Oh really? I yeah. didn't notice it as much um, on this one, but right. But twenty two, it was really obvious. Yeah,
1: it's just, it's just not just a little say. bit off to
0: you. Yeah. Okay. Um, so he delivers. I like how they, you know, yeah, I like how they introduced him into the episode. And this one is kind of cool how the camera work was done. So Rod gives his monologue, and then uh, the boy, uh, the young boy, actually assists. Um, Ed Lindsay and taking the radio upstairs. <laughs> I like how he puts the boy on the bottom of it, you know. What I mean? like, right?
1: But do you but, actually do you actually see the boy carrying it upstairs, or do you just see the no, feet? No, that's
0: why I'm saying I don't. Yeah, uh, they probably. I don't know. See, you won't see. it. You'll just see his feet. You just see him. So he has a brief conversation with the professor and Vinny at the base of the stairs, and then, yeah, well, you see the boy's you know lower half, kind of. That that really if that's him, really tell if it's. Him or not, but it doesn't show his face. But uh, So the boy gives him the assistance up the uh, stairs and they have that conversation with the professor and Vinny. And then the next scene is in the uh, the the boarding room or the bedroom of uh, Lindsay. He puts the radio in place and then unceremoniously dismisses the boy and gives him some pocket change. <laughs> tells him to go buy a switchblade. Yeah, tells him, stating, go out and buy yourself a switchblade. <laughs> which kind of threw you. And I'll, I have some trivia on that line in a second. But um, actually I'll just go ahead and give it to you now that was my first um, thing as a as it pertained to this episode um, the scene where Ed Lindsay tells a young boy to go out and buy himself a switchblade and handing him a pocket change was not approved by CBS who asked Houghton uh, that the, the line be replaced with an alternative suggesting the boy go buy candy or a remote control toy but apparently they must have left it in and you know they were just going to deal with the uh, after effects if they got fined or whatever but so yeah that was an uh an odd and interesting line so um he goes over ed Lindsay, He tunes in the radio and bangs on the top you know to get it to the oldie station and then he goes and sits down on his bed and then a knock at the door happens that's interesting the static starts immediately when someone knocks at the door well every time somebody's around it starts yeah right um so it's Vinny on the other side of the door she tells ed that dinner is ready uh, and then they have a kind of a turbulent exchange, and it's coming up here in a second. I may be a few seconds ahead, but uh, she, she, you can kind of tell with this exchange that there might be some history there. It's kind of odd and kind of unsettling. Well- she she
1: tells him, she said, well, I thought you just might like it. Yeah, I, I the line right Because he's here. like, I'm not hungry or something. He's like, well, I thought maybe you'd like to know when dinner's ready so you don't starve. He's right. like,
0: I'm not that old yet. It was a good line. She says, frankly, Mr. Lindsay, I don't care whether you starve to death. I just want to make sure that it's on purpose and not because you'd forgotten food is available. <laughs> right. So that was a real dagger kind of. That was a good line. That she So right there, you're kind of like, all right. Either they just don't like each other, but something seems kind of off here between their relationship or whatever. So your interest has kind of peaked. And you're like, why are they so short with each other? Like, You know, it seems like her in particular he has a problem with. And so um, that will develop later on.
1: Well, I was going to just say a spoiler right here, but... uh let me, you, let me ask you, let me ask you, okay, well, close your ears if you haven't seen this episode. <laughs> do you think because of their past relationship, um, you've noticed the picture in the in the, in the basement right now, mm-hmm. do you think maybe it's been some time where she's made food at home or something and he just never came home to eat the food? You know what I mean? Where she yeah. slaved over a stove or something? Maybe. I mean, it's just an observation. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I mean, she really, I mean, her, well, we'll get to it in a minute, but her monologue in the kind of the middle of the episode really kind of sets the table for understanding a lot of their relationship and stuff. So from his room and there are, again, I told Jimbo before we started, there are a lot of scene changes in this episode too. Not only a lot of cast members, but there are a lot of scene changes. And so the next scene changes, they're at the dinner table and Lindsay uh, is humming a tune that he had just heard on the radio. And it was by Tommy Dorsey. And let me give you a little information about Tommy Dorsey. Thomas Francis Dorsey, he was born November 19th, 1905, and he actually died November 26th, 1956. He was an American jazz trombonist and a composer and conductor. Um, And he was of the big band era, and he was a band leader, and uh, he was known for or nicknamed the sentimental gentleman of swing that's kind of hard to say but because of his smooth toned trombone playing and his number one song in his catalog was entitled i'm getting sentimental over you and that song is very apparent throughout this episode i wonder if they had to actually pay for that's
1: why i was going to ask you do you think Uh, they had any royalties that he had to get paid i'm sure uh, i'm sure he probably did or is it hey you can use my song because I'll just get free publicity, too.
0: Yeah, so maybe. So it could well, have been an exchange. I don't know. He would have been dead by the time he was His the family, though. Came. Yeah, I mean, maybe his posterity had some interest in getting... I'm sure... Yeah, I mean... I'm sure they'd have to. Yeah, I would think so. We don't really have that trivia on hand. That'd be something interesting to look up. But Lindsay is... You know, he's humming along at the table. And, uh, you know, he's humming that Tommy Dorsey song. And the, the lady at the table, I forget what her name is. She's like, humming, no humming at the table. She kind of gives him a yeah. well, 4 for humming at the table. And uh, Lindsay explains that he heard them on the radio along with uh, Major Bows. But Mr. Bragg, the old second curmudgeon kind of in this group, Mr. Bragg disputes whether Lindsay actually heard what he said he heard. And he has this line, Tommy Dorsey is dead. He says it real, <laughs> you know. Abruptly. Yeah, exactly. He's really uh, indignant about it. So, a little trivia about the the Tommy Dorsey deadline. One comment delivered in the episode, that exact comment, prompted a letter from a viewer claiming to be a friend of Dorsey's widow at the time. And he commented, or she commented, that the comment was in bad taste. Now, let me just stop right here. For all these people that want to write in about everything, that's kind of prevalent in our culture today, but like... I could understand if it was his actual widow, widow that rode in and said, you know, that was in bad taste. But a friend of the widow? Like, why are you... I don't know. Well, Ma-
1: how old was the widow? She may be older than some of the people in this episode. You know Maybe, what I mean? I mean, he, She, she he, may not...
0: He was only 51. Tommy Dorsey was only 51 when he passed away. I just thought that was interesting, like, how similar we are today. Like, really? Like, you know, I don't know. Like, you made the joke. What was your joke earlier? Uh, well, he said. <laughs> so uh, you yeah. uh, what was
1: it? Um, he said something like Tommy Dorsey did or whatever. And I said, I said what, it was who? like, who
0: got mad? Yeah, he said, did Tommy Dorsey come back and tell me he was upset or something? Like yeah, that. he said that was funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, that just like why? Why would she be a, or why would that person be upset unless it was someone in the family? I don't know. Maybe I'm being too critical, but like,
1: well, so. it could be where maybe they didn't even ask to use the permission Possibly, of it so maybe yeah. they're, they're they're tying that in with the music that you know they said they could use and then
0: they threw that in there so right so mr bragg he delivers that crusher of a line and then you know Lindsay, he he thinks that uh, bragg is just this brainless mindless guy who watches westerns you know cowboys uh shooting people on tv all the time so he gives him a few jabs back and then um uh, Again, another scene change. We go back into the room. But wait, before before we go there, uh,
1: like he goes and gets a shortwave radio. Oh yeah, right at the uh, table table, and brings it back because he's trying to prove to these people. Look, I'm I'm hearing what I'm hearing, and you're Mm going to hear it too. And so so then something happens where the music starts playing on the TV, and all they all just get up and walk out except for the professor. Yeah, and he's like, "Look, I don't get it." You know, maybe you have to come up to the big the big radio in my room, and that's when they him and the professor and I think Vinny goes up with him uh, to the room. Mhm.
0: Yeah. He, he can't get the radio station and there is some, you know, discussion back and forth about because, uh, you know, Tommy Dorsey's passed away and obviously back in the thirties and forties, it was all live radio. And then there's some discussion about, well, they had videotape or not videotape, but they had some taped audio. And so him and Bragg go back and forth, um, uh, with that as well. So, we're back in his room, and uh, Vinny and the professor actually come up to the room with him, and it only produces static once again. So Lindsay decides that he's going to call the radio station, which is W P D A, and try to get some answers as to why maybe you know they're having transmitting trouble or something. He doesn't know, so he learns from the phone operator's supervisor that the station has been off the air for thirteen years. And then Vinny in the room chimes in, it isn't listed on the radio section either. She's looking at a little, um, right? Like a, I don't know, like a booklet or something, or maybe the newspaper. And she's saying it's not listed as one of the radio stations. However, I got some trivia on WPDA. The station that Ed hears on his radio, WPDA, is fictitious. However, just five years later, in 1966, WPDA was licensed in Jeffersonville, New York, and the station still broadcasts as of twenty twenty two. So as of last year, it was still a, a live. Uh, well, I thought maybe it
1: stood for the you know, like uh, world uh, public display of affection. Yeah. Just I based that's upon true. just based upon the, the call letters, yeah. well, not just that, but just yeah, just based upon this episode um, but something we must talk about is when he does go to put the old quarter in the phone to use
0: mm-hmm.
1: he, like half the wall moves with him when he goes to pick up the receiver right so you can see where, you can see sometimes when the twilight zone take shortcuts so.
0: <laughs> yeah kind of like uh, what was the thing you noticed in uh, flight 33 the 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 pegboard wall yeah, in the, the back, back of the guy. airplane well
1: and let me ask you a question this is a boarding house okay why wouldn't they have a landline? Why would they have to use a uh, pay for a phone if they're paying rent at the boarding yeah, house? unless
0: the the uh, landlord decided that they didn't want to pay for calls and they stuck in a payphone and made all the... So does the landlord have to use the payphone the, the too? The patrons, uh, yeah, I don't know. That would be odd. Well, in 1960, would people have two phones in their house? Maybe if you had a... This looks like an older, like, Elizabethan type house with, you know, big two three story type house maybe there are multiple phones i don't know but yeah probably uh, a reason for you know the landlord to make a few extra dollars but uh so we're back in the room they call the radio station um so then the conversation moves into the hall i think we come to next uh and uh vinnie and the professor are kind of in the hallway and she asks him, do you really think he heard those programs? Speaking of Ed, and the professor says, well, Vinny, I believe he thinks he did. Um, and so they, they have that conversation in the hall. And then the next scene change amongst many, I think I'm up to like number eight now. We're back in the parlor of the living room. And Ed says he finally has the station tuned in and he tells uh, Vinny and the professor to come quick and then, of course, Bragg is like, you're just going to hear nothing but static. And I'm, I'm skipping ahead a little bit. But uh, so he, you know, he tells me, he thinks he's got the radio station finally. And, uh, oh, let me back up. I missed an important, a very important part. Um, when Vinny and the professor are up in the, the room and they end up leaving, um Lindsay hears a, a speech that comes on the radio from FDR, mm-hmm. and it comes on. i got some trivia about that. I don't want to skip over that. Um, <clears throat> so at at one point, Ed's radio begins playing an address to the nation from Franklin Delano Roosevelt. This is the opening of one of FDR's famous Fireside Chats, a series of programs in which he spoke directly to the American people over the airwaves. At the time, it was a very innovative a very innovative concept. And this particular fireside chat was from April 28, 1935 and discussed the works relief program for 1935. And Jibo and I discussed that. We were like, I didn't, I thought maybe it was just like dubbed in or they, they, you know, invented something or created something to sound like FDR, but it was an actual clip from the actual fireside chat. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Now, So from there we go to the parlor. Talked about that. Then we come back up to the room again.
1: They're still still looking like zombies down there
0: watching TV. And he comes running down
1: like, hey, I got it. I got it. Come back up here.
0: Right, right. And then Mrs. Uh, Nielsen says, he's gone completely psychological. (laughs) And then, of course, when they get up there, Ed loses the station again. And then um, there's some conversation um, with the professor and all three of them. And then the professor leaves. And then this is where uh, Vinny sort of gives her a long stand, probably the crux of the episode, the long uh, monologue as to the nature of their relationship and how they've gotten to where they are. And that he's the crankiest, crotchetiest old man she's ever known, but she understands because she is too. She sort of gives us a biopic of their relationship and kind of a lot of regrets in how they've missed their opportunity they were supposed to be married and uh, I think Lindsay's mom was ill and so they kept delaying the, the wedding and before they knew it like 20 years had gone by and what were once two people who were greatly in love now basically what seems at this point is like they can't stand each other, they're at each other's throats and there's a lot of bitterness that you pick up on in that Exchange, but she says, "You know, at one time you loved me as much as any man could love a woman." And he said, he nods his head and, and says, "Yeah, you're you're right." And that's kind of one of the problems. And I'll just point it out right here with this episode is you don't really have that flash or aha moment like in the Twilight Zone, where you know a lot of people get redeemed. You know, when they have that realization and there's a kind of an arc in their character where. You know, that would have been a great time for, you know, there to be di- or monologue or dialogue where he goes, you know what, you're right, and I'm going to change. But he never has that realization. Well,
1: he makes the statement, like, you think I'm ding-dong, I'm crazy. Right. He's like, no, that's not what I think at all. You know what I mean? So there has to
0: be something there that has transpired, you know what I mean? Yeah, because so far you can see, if you're a fan of the Twilight Zone, you can see how the Twilight Zone somewhat punishes people. And they'll, they'll deals out justice and then other people it sort of you know, redeems or gives them grace or whatever or helps them along and he kind of gets rewarded at the end without even kind of that realization just but we'll get there in a second but um i just yeah that was very interesting to me um so they lost their chance at life together benny explains they had 20 years and then eventually And that just goes to my point, Ed just gets mad and tells her to get out. And he tells her to get out of the room and let me alone, let me alone. He doesn't want to be bothered with any rediscovering of the past. Do
1: you think it's because he knows he messed up and it hurts him to talk
0: about it? Probably, yeah. I mean, that would be a a really good explanation of that. And you can tell both people, really, he's kind of sad. It kind of pulls on your heartstrings at this part of the the episode and you know it doesn't look it looks like they're never going to be able to get back but uh and this this actually goes on the scene goes on for quite a minute but uh the next scene we come to after this exchange in the room uh ed comes in and he's delivering groceries all right he's kind of he's happy he's got some pep in his step and he delivers groceries until he discovers that the radio had been given away to a junk dealer and he becomes incensed he's like really angry so then um, the next scene we come to after he discovers that the radio is gone because, I mean, the radio is like his whole life. It's it's his link to the past and when he had happier memories. And so when that's gone, like, he's irate. So he leaves. And they gave it to what? The local... The chair, junk dealer, yeah. <laughs> right. So, Jimbo, you had an observation where we, we go to the junk dealer and oh, yeah. uh, the basement.
1: Right. So um, to me, now, I, I may just be foolish here but knowing the twilight zone and their cost-cutting ways i b- do believe that the the basement at the beginning of the film is the same as this junk dealer uh, store i guess because see seen him coming down the stairs and everything again so um i think it's very interesting i think it's probably the same thing just junk so moved around
0: yeah i would say so too so he buys the radio back for ten dollars right he he which, I don't know, that's probably a lot for that day and that old of a radio. I and imagine. I like what he says. Is, and if it doesn't work, right. you'll pay. <laughs> you and everyone else will pay, yeah. He's, he's really incensed at that point. And then um, yeah. the last scene of this episode, if I can just sum up kind of quickly, is we're back in Ed's room for the final scene. And then this is the... I guess you would call it the Twilight Zone twist, if you will. But they're they're back in the room, and Vinny walks in, and we see that they both have been transported back in time 20 years. They are both young, and it looks as though they have a second chance in the Twilight Zone and all the radio programs, you know, Vinny knows them by heart. And when they come on... So,
1: yeah, she's and, like, yeah, it comes on this time every yeah, day. Yeah, they
0: look very different, and, it, you know, they've been transported uh, back in time for what seems to be... A second chance, Jimbo. You got any general trivia over there? I know you do.
1: Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw this um, uh, thing from my trusty companion book in right here, uh, talking about the episode. So it says, uh, "Static is a loving remembrance of something dear that is gone." In his book of nostalgic essays, "Remember, Remember," Macmillan, 1963, Beaumont wrote, "The world of radio was real to us." There are squirts and small fry today who will soon be as old as the us of then, and I know some who haven't turned a radio on in their entire lives, which Hmm. we can testify to that right now.
0: (laughs) Our kids. (laughs) Um,
1: I try to tell them what it was like, but they don't understand. They can't believe I'm talking about the little plastic box in the kitchen that plays rock and roll and gives us the news, and I'm not sure I believe it either. Television is the substitute for what we had, and I deem it a bad one. It inspires neither loyalty nor awe. It does not thrill, transport, terrify, or enchant. It only entertains. The point is made even more uh, succinctly by a line that Lindsay says in the episode, Radio is a world that has to be believed to be as true. And Static reminds us just of that. So, uh, like we talked about earlier, you know, you know we talk about right now we talk about vhs tapes and people don't know what we're talking about (laughs) you talk about cds people don't know what you're talking about um so you know time just passes passes by but i i it's just it's sad you know because what's going to be the next thing right now we're in the digital age where you can uh download stuff straight to your phone and watch it or whatever. Pretty soon, you know, like Elon Musk must put that chip in your brain where you can just click on music or, or watch videos without even having to turn anything on, which is, you know, you think it's crazy. Like, you watch that movie Megan, and that's not far off, you know what I mean? It's it's, it's kind of weird, but I mean, you know, um, it's just stuff like that, man. It's, yeah times are changing, and pretty soon we're going to be the old people like in this movie or yeah. this TV show, you know yeah. what I mean? And we'll be like, get off my lawn, you crazy kids. <laughs> yeah. but. Uh, that's just a beautiful observation by Beaumont. And yeah, Canada, but-
0: Serling had something to say on the matter, too. He says, having written for radio, the story appeal- appealed excuse me, to Serling, who felt a nostalgic chance to go back to a days gone by, and it was a perfect hunting ground for the Twilight Zone. Days after the episode went before the cameras, he wrote to Ed Wynn, uh, explaining that they were doing a show called Static, which involved the use of uh, famous radio programs from the past. And since the fire chief, which was, uh, I think a radio program that Ed Wynn starred in, he said is, uh, Sterling said, uh, referring to the fire chief, he says to win, it's an integral, as well-beloved part of memorabilia of time, and it is essential that it be included. So in addition to your permission, I wonder if you would give us or tell us where we might obtain records or transcriptions of your old radio shows. He's speaking to Wynn here. Wynn replied by phone, explaining to Serling that while he had no problem with the Twilight Zone featuring sound clips from existing recordings, recordings he himself had none in his possession. He recommended that Sterling contact Texaco, the sponsor of the series of the time. It's funny that Texaco would sponsor a radio series, but... Yeah, I guess that kind of makes sense. (laughs) So Buck Houghton, upon learning the sad news, explained to Serling that time was of the essence and instead used a recording from the Fred Allen Show in its place. Wow. So the Fred Allen Show, let me give you a little trivia about that. Uh, This features clips from an episode of the Fred Allen Show. Allen was a popular radio comedian whose program was built around a place called Allen's Alley. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Which, that sounds funny. He would visit the various characters on the alley and ask them a topical question. One of the most famous characters also heard in this clip was Sen- Senator Clegghorn, played by Den- Kenny Delmar, the blustering Southern politician who was the inspiration for the Looney Tunes character Foghorn Leghorn.
1: All so, right, Eric, Foghorn
0: say- Leghorn, the gray or the uh, from Alan's Alley. So your, your homework
1: for next time we record is we want you to go downtown Indianapolis, go to the alleys, <laughs> interview people, and come back
0: with them. <laughs> yeah, I might not make it back. Uh, this was one of Bob Crane's first television appearances. Jimbo already um, talked about that earlier in the um, episode. Uh, for custom recordings for this produ- uh, production... Uh, this is more dealing with the TV shows. The role of the real estate salesman on the television says played by Eddie Marr, a veteran of numerous radio broadcasts from the 40s and 50s. According to the production report dated November 18th, the voice of the radio disc jockey is that of Bob Crane. And, of course, he's uh, of Hogan's Heroes fame. Uh, though C- Crane is seen, or excuse me, heard and not seen, this episode technically marks his television debut. And then it goes on and talks about Crane as a... A morning local disc jockey in southern california i believe and this the final trivia piece we may have already mentioned this this is one of this is number five of six of the twilight zone episodes that were videotaped and i have two goofs that i'll just throw in here at the end and then we'll get to our questions observations and overall feelings uh Jimbo already talked about the payphone wall according to the calendar in Ed's bedroom however the bedroom wall the calendar that's hanging over his bed is april 1959 and when Vinnie and the professor leave Ed's room the ceiling light in the background in the hallway is hanging extremely low about even with their shoulders which would make it impossible for them to walk under if that hallway was actually well real.
1: i was trying to di- i was trying to see if that was maybe over stairs you know what I mean, like
0: like a chandelier, which I couldn't really. I tell. just noticed it, it really... when you were pl- playing it back. It you can see it in the door frame of the room. It's like super low. When all three of them are in the boarding room, and, and the door's open, you can kind of you can kind of see how it's really hanging really low. So, Jimbo, you wanna you wanna go first, or you want me to go first? And
1: I'll go first. I'm gonna throw some questions to you. I'm gonna throw uh, some questions to you. But too, first, so. first, first thing, um, there is one. A uh, key thing that I think we glossed over that we didn't talk about, okay. and, I, and, and it's the quote I think that pretty much sums this show or this episode up uh, pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, when he's bringing the radio back uh, or upstairs from the basement, and then he says, "I can't believe you kept that old thing," and Ed has the, uh, the the comeback with, "I keep the things that are important to me," which is very interesting seeing that this whole time he hasn't really left her, he's kept her around. So, to me that shows that he still does care for her in some unusual way, mm-hmm. uh, maybe subliminally or whatever. Um, and then I have one more uh, I'll, I'll tell my feelings and then I'll, I'll bring this up to you. To me watching this episode uh, throws me back to my childhood, obviously bringing back the memories of listening to those old radio shows mm-hmm. with my grandparents, which um, you know are gone now. So I kind of feel sentimental towards that, you know, sentimental over you, uh, which plays in the song. You know, I mean the song in this episode, um, it has a lot of great actors in this and actresses uh, that went on to do great things in other TV shows. Um, to me, uh, it's, it's, it's probably one of the better videotaped episodes, uh, because the story is so well told, um, With that being said, is it going to win any awards? Probably not. Is it going to win any of the tragedies, in my opinion, at the end of the season? Probably not. Is it going to be in my top ten? Probably not. But it was okay. Um, So with that, I'll probably give this about a seven out of ten just for the fact that it does hold your attention. It makes you think. My question to you, Eric, is, is, is of this. Do you think that the people at this boarding house are all suffering from a mental illness? And I say that because, do you think that the professor was actually a professor, or was he only a professor in his mind? Like, like you know, like um, let's say what what was the uh was it um, I think it was the it was the movie uh, the Dream Team I think with Michael Keaton that I watched where Christopher Lloyd thinks as he he's a uh, doctor you know and he's in there with Michael Keaton. And a couple others, and he's like, oh, I'm going to tell tell the doctor on you and all that. He's always taking notes like he's actually a psychiatrist or a doctor. Um, and the reason I say that is, why would a professor be in the boarding house with these people? Because everybody turns to him for answers. Like, professor, do you think he did this? Professor, do you think he did that? To me, it's a boarding house. These people are probably poor. Okay? If he's a professor of something, he's not going to be living in this boarding house. But he's almost like a doctor professor, like a psychological professor. And I think that you see that not only does Ed have some uh, mental issues, maybe Alzheimer's, you know, because she she even – Vinny even states, look, you know, because he's like, you think I'm cuckoo. You know what I mean? And to me, that makes – and then Vinny's obviously kind of got some – mental issues going on from her past with him as well you have the one guy that's like tommy dorsey's dead or whatever you know and he's just a weird dude altogether. and they all sit around that tv and they just all focus on the tv you know they're they're like zombies like this like they're medicated you know what i mean mm-hmm. so to me um and then you know you, you take away his tv uh, which is the one thing that's bringing him maybe he's relapsing or maybe it's drawing him back to the past which they're trying to break him away from to get him better um that is my observation from this episode. Now, I could be totally wrong with that. It could just be a <laughs> Twilight Zone thing. No, that's
0: why we do this. We, right. we, we read so, really deeply into it. Well, well,
1: that's that's the one thing that stuck out to me because, you know, the professor's there. And I'm like, because every time there's an issue, hey, professor, come up, to, come up to my room to listen to this radio. Hey, professor, let's call the radio station. Hey, professor. And then Vinny's like, hey, professor, do you think he's, hey, professor, hey, professor, hey, professor. You know what I mean? So to me, that's, I don't know if they're all in there. And it's like a, a, a group home. Uh, yeah,
0: that, you know what I mean? That was one of my observations, so, too. Like, um, I'll, well, throw
1: I, it, I'll throw it to you, Eric, and let me get your thoughts on Philly's yeah, episode, and then I, you can answer that I as had well. one of
0: the similar observations. Like, why would someone live in a boarding house for 20 years? Right. You know, you know either you – they're, they're kind of halfway. I wouldn't call them halfway houses. That's more <laughs> up when you get out of prison. But, like, usually you don't live in a boarding house for 20 years unless you are, you know, poor or, you know, you can't – you don't have any means or you – Or like you just stated, you have some mental, maybe disability, or you're physically unable to take care of yourself. It's almost kind of, it's more along the line of a a nursing home or a group home of sorts. But I kind of went a different route, and I don't think this plays out but initially when I started watching I thought maybe the boarding house everyone in the boarding house was already dead. And right, it, kind right, of like I a sixth sense kind of situation where he doesn't know that he's been dead for years and this is his portal to the past and and all that but it really doesn't play out because you know he, there's too much eye contact, you know, and like the sixth sense he never makes. Bruce Willis never likes make makes eye contact with the people but he thinks he's still alive when he's really dead. Anyway, I don't think that bears out but you know, that was my question. Like, how, why do you live in a boarding house for 20 years, uh, you know, and then you just kind of stay there? So I think your theory kind of bears out a lot more than what mine would have. But, And then my second question or observation is, is this a radio time machine? And I think, yeah, in a sense, Rod talks about that in the closing monologue. This is a time machine and a portal to the past, and the Twilight Zone actually rewards... Vinny and Lindsay, and they go back twenty years, and they get a do-over basically. And just my overall thoughts.
1: And if that's true, if Vinny and them go back twenty years, does everybody in the house go back twenty years?
0: Probably not. Probably just them. I I don't. Yeah, I don't think. Again, we don't know. That's not unknown. But uh, I I would say just probably just them. But you know, it kind of for the same reasons. It's the nostalgia part and. Uh, grandparents and all those things are very similar. In, in in my estimation, I remember my my grandparents had one of those big record players slash radio things with the sliding top. I mean, it was a piece of furniture. In it's the room, heavy, and it was in the room that you can't go in. <laughs> Only adults sit in that room. So, uh, yeah, um, but for the same reasons, and also just like personal personal reasons, like everybody wishes they, whether in a relationship or. Uh, just on a broader scale, or maybe even particular with a, another person, someone that you were interested in, you wish that you could go back and maybe pursue that relationship and to have a do-over and things might turn out differently. I think everybody probably has that at some point in their life, so it speaks to that part well, of Well, let me know, ask you like a
1: question. You. Do you think Vinny was actually in the room with him at the end, or was it all in his head? Because... He always, he always wants to go up there and he wants to play the radio and it takes him back to that time and he, and he's genuinely happy. Like you remember when he walks in with his right. groceries, he goes, oh, he's humming and everything. and He's right. just going upstairs
0: happy. And Vinny even says that it, you, you are like a younger man when you go back and it's always around the time of when their anniversary would be that right. he gets really angry and mean and crotchety and starts complaining and snapping at everybody. So yeah, I think that correlates and you know, I think that correlates. That's, that's a human thing. Like you know i think everyone i mean it'd be hard-pressed to find somebody that didn't have a, some sort of regret whether it's about a relationship or, or an event in your life or something that you wish that you could do have a do-over or pursue that girlfriend or boyfriend that might have turned into something else and you just you missed your chance and uh, time and life moves on and unfortunately in real life you don't get a chance to do have a do-over but thankfully for Vinny and um ed they they got a do over so that's kind of a nice ending and with that said i probably again i'd probably give it like a 6.5 or 7 again no big twilight zone twist uh it's it's really heartfelt and it's a sentimental episode But i wouldn't say it, it was upper echelon but it was it was really good it was pretty good i would leave it at that and uh with that I think we can probably wrap this up. So, if you got any closing comments,
1: uh, no, that, that, that like I said, this is the probably the one of the last. There's one more videotaped episode that we can struggle through and get done, which is a really weird one. Uh, <laughs> it's really really creepy. So, uh, but yeah, thanks for listening. If you want to follow us on the social medias, the Tragedy Cinema Podcast on Facebook, uh, we have a lot of fun in that group. Um, you can follow us on TikTok. I do a little bit of TikTok now and then to be like one of the kids. I want to make sure I don't have time pass me over. I got to keep up with this generation. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you'd like to reach out to us, we are the Training, uh, the Tragedy of Cinema uh, at gmail.com if you want to email us. So with that being said, I think this episode's coming to a close and that's a wrap.
0: And cut. Around and around she goes and where she stops, nobody knows. All Ed Lindsay knows is that he desperately wanted a second chance and he finally got it through a strange and wonderful time machine called a radio in the Twilight Zone.